0: The text for us is Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. I will read it for us. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town to town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled upon, and birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing, they may not see, and though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on its stand so that it can, who, those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought open out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has been given more, whoever does not will be given more, excuse me, whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers had come to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are outside, standing outside, waiting to see you. He replied, My mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. This is the gospel of the Lord. So like I said, we're continuing our study of Luke's gospel in chapter 8, and uh, we're continuing in this subsection of Luke uh, where he's talking about the importance and power of God's word. And you can see from the parable, again, that we're still focusing on the power and importance of God's word with the parable of the sower. Uh, As we get into the text today, uh, there are a couple things I want to do. So I want to give you the main point right up front, because even though that was a long text, it really kind of has one main point. And so if you're taking notes with us, if you grabbed a note sheet from the back, the top of the sheet has your main point space there, and it's really just the words that Jesus says in verse 18 of this text. He says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. This is the main point of everything that he's saying. He's asking us as Christians to consider how we listen to God's word, now, as we get into this text, you may already be familiar with it because it's one of Jesus' most famous parables. If you were to like, give somebody, like, write down your top five Jesus parables, you probably would get maybe the parable of the prodigal son, parable of the good Samaritan, and then probably this would be the next one that most people would know. And that's with good reason. It's, it's very wide-sweeping in its application, but it's also really interesting because it is the only parable that Jesus explains in the Bible, all the other parables he tells them, and he expects you to sort of figure it out. But here's the one that he explains for us, and in that sense, it's sort of a key to understanding all the parables. So before we dig into the parable of the sower specifically, I want to talk about parables in general, because if you read the Gospels, you'll notice Jesus speaks in parables quite a bit. And it's good to understand what he's trying to accomplish by speaking in parables. So let's start there. Point one on your notes sheet Why does Jesus speak in parables? Um, First, we probably need to explain what a parable is, because it's not a word that we use very often in our English language. It's related to the word parabola, which if you remember in your high school math class was a graph that kind of looked like, sort of like a hump, and it was on a centered axis and it would mirror on both sides. If you don't remember that, that's okay. The point is to say, a parable is a story where one half of the story or one half of the meaning is very obvious. It's very easy to understand what Jesus is saying. You can listen to him talk about how seeds fall on rocky ground or on packed ground or on good soil and say, well, yeah, that's how seeds work, duh. But there's a secondary meaning, there's something else he's trying to teach, and that's not as easy to get. So he tells stories, very often uh, the way people describe these are heavenly, or excuse excuse me, earthly stories with heavenly meanings is how most people will describe them. Um, the, The Gospels are full of them. So why does he speak in these stories? Well, he actually tells you right here in the text why he does it, right? It was verse 10 of the text. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, and though hearing, they may not understand. Which means that Jesus speaks in parables to confuse people which by your reaction I can tell is a little bit jarring and surprising, right? But that's what he says. He says, I speak in parables so that people will hear what I say but not understand it and see what I'm saying but not be able to understand it. Uh, It's obviously jarring for us and I think maybe most jarring because we kind of expect that Jesus would want to be as understandable as possible. And we sort of perceive that using stories would be a very effective way to be understandable. Stories tend to be more engaging with people's attention. They tend to be the things that we remember longer rather than some theoretical point. We'll remember a story that illustrates a point. So most of us have this perception that Jesus is telling his parables in order to be more understandable. But Jesus says, actually, I'm doing this to be less understandable. So what's going on there? Well, the answer is right in that verse that we looked at. He said that he's doing this so that though seeing, they may not see, and though hearing, they may not understand. And as you can see, as you look at it on the screen, the text is set apart. That's because this is a quote. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, where God sends the prophet Isaiah to do his ministry to a people who are not going to listen to them because they have regularly rejected God and his word. And so if you're channeling kind of Isaiah's prophetic ministry into Jesus right here, what Jesus is saying is, I speak in parables so that the people who have already rejected God will not be able to understand what I'm saying. However, those who do understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, as he says it, will be able to understand. What Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to sort of make a a split between the people who are in the kingdom of God and those who aren't. He's trying to make it as obvious as possible for us to see whether we're in the kingdom of God or not. Which should lead us to ask this question. Well, what is this secret? What is this key that Jesus wants us to have so that we end up on the side of understanding what he's saying and not being totally confused by what he's saying? And the answer is, he's the key. Jesus is the key. Maybe I can illustrate it to you like this. Um, one of the things I really appreciate as a pastor, because in our relationship, quite frankly, I do most of the talking because I get about half an hour to just monologue every week. I love to hear feedback from you feedback on sermons, feedback on Bible studies, feedback on our ministry together. But if you've, if you've ever received feedback, if you're in maybe a position at your job where you receive feedback regularly or you've just heard critical feedback from a friend or a family member, you, you know that it's hard to receive feedback sometimes. And it's mostly hard if you can't understand the person who's giving the feedback. All right, so the worst type of feedback is anonymous feedback. Right? Because we can't put it in the context who that person might be. If their words are particularly harsh, well, if it's somebody that you know kind of speaks in a strong way, you can understand that pretty well. Or if the, the feedback seems pretty timid, but you know that it's coming from somebody who really doesn't share their opinion very often, that's pretty strong feedback. The key to understand, understanding feedback is to know the person giving feedback. In the same way as Jesus teaches us parables, the key to understanding the parables is to know Jesus. Maybe another way to think about this is what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to delineate between those who simply want him for information versus those who want him for a relationship. Those who simply want to hear what he has to say because they want to intake the information and do whatever they want with it, whether it's going to make them a better person, make them a little bit wiser in their life, make them feel better about themselves, and the people who actually want to know him, who actually want to understand him. And so he speaks in parables. Now, many of you in this room have been Christians your entire life and so you maybe have never thought about the parables this way because, well, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, you've always pretty much understood them. But it's worth all of us going back to the parables and understanding that that's what Jesus is doing, not so that we just understand each parable individually, but so that we're always drawn back to Christ. So Jesus gives us then this parable, the parable of the sower. I'm not going to go through exactly what he says the first time. I'm mostly going to focus on the explanation in the second half of the text. He tells us about the seed that is being thrown. And he says this seed is the word of God. And he says the seed, first of all, falls on a ground that is packed down. Think like a path through a provincial park or something like that. Seed that falls on a path like this is not able to grow. It can't penetrate past the surface. And so birds or squirrels or whoever else will come and grab that seed and eat it up. It will never actually grow. And Jesus says about this soil that those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts so that it may not believe and be saved. So what sort of person is this? I think it would be easy to say, well, this is the type of person who... They just totally reject God's word. Like, I might have tried to share Jesus with them at some time, but they're just not about it. They ignore my texts. They ignore my invitations to church. They don't want to talk about it. Certainly, those people are in this category. But remember who Jesus is talking to as he tells this parable. He's talking to religious people. He's talking to people who would have considered themselves to be Old Testament Christians. And this is all under the umbrella of him saying, be careful, consider how you listen, So could it be that there would be a person who would sit in church every Sunday, hearing God's word, but never letting the word penetrate their heart? I think that's Jesus' point. Consider carefully how you listen. Could it be that you hear the word of God, it goes in your ears, rattles around your brain for a while, and then falls out the back? That you go on with your life and, and nothing changes about how you think about yourself, how you think about your neighbor, how you plan your time, how you use your resources? I mean, think about soil like this. When a seed hits soil that is packed hard like this, the seed does not go in and the soil does not change at all. It's possible to sit in a Christian church every Sunday, to hear the word, but to have it never penetrate your heart. As one pastor said, uh, if you never feel like God's word is grabbing you by the throat, (laughs) you may be not hearing it. You may be not letting it penetrate your heart. You may be taking it in as information that might be helpful for you, but But you don't want a relationship with Jesus. The second type of soil that Jesus describes is soil that we would consider pretty desolate. Um, the, the, The text talks about it as rocky soil. So there is dirt there, but it is pretty hard for plants to grow because there's not enough dirt for the roots to go down deep. They run into rocky soil. And Jesus says about this those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. And they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So what type of person might this be? This is the person who hears the word of God and immediately is attracted to it. What a great message. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life. I'm totally into that. But they never let it go down deep. There are areas of their heart that are off limits to the roots of God's word. As the roots try to grow down deeper into the soil of that person's heart, it runs up against, what is it, money, time, relationships, something that you won't let God's word speak to, something that you won't let God's word's roots grab into. You could be a Christian, certainly. You receive the word with joy. But there are parts of your soul that you will not give to Jesus. And so consider carefully how you listen. Listen. When you hear God's words, are there parts that you say, yeah, I'm totally into that. But then other parts that you say, "Uh, I don't think I can do that. I don't think that's for me. I'm not that type of person. That's a little too challenging. The Bible says here that that you may have faith for a while, but there will come a time when when testing comes, difficulty comes, and if God's word isn't making you happy in that moment, you're going to fall away. So consider carefully how you listen. Third, he talks about weedy ground. So, of course, if you're a gardener, you know the power of weeds in a garden. It's not that the weeds actually kill the plants that they are planted next to, but they do compete for the resources, right? They compete for the sunlight, they compete for the water, they compete for the soil. Jesus says about people who are weedy ground that those who fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. What sort of person might this be? This is the miserable Christian. Because they have a trust in God. Their roots are going down deep into God's word. But so are the roots of a whole bunch of other stuff. The roots of their need to be successful, their need to be popular, their need to be attractive, their need to have money, their need to accomplish whatever their goals are in life, those things are also going down deep into their soul and competing for the resources that they have. And so this person will never give up Jesus. The roots are down too deep. They know too much. You know that if you would give up Jesus, that would mean eternal damnation for you and you're not into that. But, You also have a whole bunch of other things that you rely on to make you happy, to make you peaceful, to make you content, to make you feel purposeful. And when those things fail you, you're miserable. Because along with Jesus, they're also your gods. What might this person look like? might be the person that is in church every week, or even the person who maybe gives generously or serves generously, but also needs to be in a good relationship in order to be happy. Or needs to feel like their finances are in order to feel happy. Or needs to feel like they're doing something purposeful with their life to feel happy. Or they need to feel like they have the acknowledgement of the people that they gather with on Sunday or work with during the week in order to be happy. The miserable Christian is like the weedy ground. And then, of course, Jesus says, There's good soil right soil where the the seed falls and it immediately starts to grow and it produces a crop. And he says about this, the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble heart and those who hear, are those who hear the word, excuse me, retain it and by persevering produce a crop. Okay, so this is the point. Right, Jesus says there are four types of ways that people react to God's word. So what do we do with that? (laughs) I think there are two ways we can look at this. We can look at this from an evangelism perspective and then secondly, from a discipleship perspective. So let me explain those words for you before we go into them. Uh, Evangelism is uh, from the Greek word evangelion, which just means the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that we proclaim to people that Jesus has died, Jesus has risen and Jesus will come again. When we talk about evangelism more often, the term we use is outreach where we are trying to help people who do not know about Jesus to know about Jesus. That's evangelism. Discipleship, on the other hand, is what you, if you call Cross of Life your church home, are doing every time you come here. You are learning to disciple under Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple? What are the expectations? What are the behaviors? What are the growth patterns? That's discipleship. So we're gonna look at it from both of these angles. Look at this parable and say, what can this teach us about evangelism and discipleship? First, let's talk about evangelism. The first thing that it teaches us is how we sow the seed of God's word. If you were an agrarian listening to Jesus tell this parable about the soils, you would have thought that sower is a moron. Because he is throwing seed in all sorts of ridiculous places. He's throwing it on the road. He's throwing it in the rocks. He's throwing it into the weedy soil. Only a quarter of it seems to be going on his field. And imagine you're driving out west here toward Michigan and you start to see some some farmer driving his tractor down down the 401 just dropping seed everywhere. You're like, this guy is an idiot. That's what was happening, right? Why would you throw the seed like that? Well, what is the seed? The seed is God's word. And what God does as he throws the seed is he throws it everywhere. He speaks God's word to everyone. And this is hard for us because we tend to be conservative when it comes to how we share God's word. It could be because of our own fears and insecurities or it could be because of how we perceive how other people might hear God's word. We think those are the people who would never actually believe. But this parable tells us we tell everyone We tell every person, whether they look like us or sound like us or have the same values as us, we share with everyone what God's word is. We also should define, too, God's word here. Because my sense is that with many Christians who try to share their faith, they often don't speak God's word, they speak about God's word. That they don't actually say, Christ is risen. They talk about, well, God loves us or God forgives our sins. And those things are true. But to proclaim to a person that, no, this happened and you have to reckon with it, that's speaking God's word. So we speak God's word to everyone. That's what this parable teaches us. But then it also teaches us to modify, I think, our expectations. Right, There are four different ways that people react to the word of God, and I, I'm not saying this is a mathematical equation, as if like 25% of people react this way and 25% react this way, but I am saying that as you look at this, the vast majority of people are not going to react to the word the way we want. If you care about God's word and you care that people believe it, the majority of people will not respond to God's word the way we like. They may believe but they're going to be weak Christians. They may believe, but they're going to be choked out by all the other things of their life. And we praise God because God doesn't save on the basis of how strong or how great your faith is. But it's also hard for us to see that. Right? We, we look at each other and we say, oh, you're so close. <laughs> you could be growing. It's frustrating. But we still spread the word. So adjust our expectations. As we share the word with other people who are maybe not Christians, let's have the expectation the vast majority of people are not going to respond to us the way we want. And as we look around here, as we share God's word with one another and we try to encourage one another to grow, let's have the expectation that probably it's not always going to work out the way that we want. The final thing then is for us to kind of connect evangelism and discipleship. Uh, and that's to ask ourselves, where does this seed come from in the first place? Like the sower is out there throwing his seed. And the sower is not God, by the way. The sower is those people who, who speak God's word. Where does their seed come from? If you're going to plant a garden uh, this spring, you're going to do that in one of two ways. You're either going to grab some saplings from whatever garden center you prefer, or maybe also you would grab seeds from those same garden centers, little packets like this, and you would take the seeds and you put them in the ground, right? That's what most people would do. But back in that society, you wouldn't do that. You would get seed for your plants from the previous year's crop. So you would set aside whatever you grew, maybe a little bit of it to take all the seeds out of them, dry them all out so that they could last through the winter and then the next spring you would plant those seeds. So what is Jesus saying about where the seed comes from? The seed comes from cultivating the plants that exist already. Let's think about it. Let's say you just decided some crazy idea that you're gonna buy a big plant plot of land and you're gonna make an orchard out of it. There are a couple of ways that you could go about that. You could plant a whole bunch of little plants. You could buy every single one of them. They're expensive, I don't know if you've ever tried. You could plant every single plant and you could let them grow. It would probably be faster, right? But it might be a little bit more expensive and you might actually lose some plants in the process because you don't transplant them right and, and so on. Or, you could plant one seed, let it grow, take some seeds, plant them the next year, let them grow, take some seeds, plant them the next year, and it would take a whole lot longer but it would cost you a whole lot less. Why do I give you this example? Um, The way to, to get seed is to cultivate plants. And I think very often what we want to do as Christian churches is we just want to try to buy ourselves a whole bunch of saplings and plant them in our church, rather than growing them from the seeds that are within. If at least the context is right, Jesus' point here is to say, seed comes from cultivating plants. And so what we're doing here is evangelism. Now, of course, this is going to have to translate into us going out and speaking about God's word, but it starts here. It starts by you being pruned, by you having the ground tilled around you, having Jesus pull on the weeds, having Jesus remove the rocks so that you produce fruit, so that you can have seed to sow. I say this all because I want our congregation to be a place that is good soil not a place where we can just bring somebody in because we have great culture or we have great music or we have interesting preaching or we have friendly people. Those are all great things. But those things aren't going to last. It only takes one bus accident and we got to get a new preacher or a new lead singer or a new piano player or, or it takes just a, a change of our finances and all of a sudden we can't be in this building or can't be in this neighborhood. It takes just one feud and suddenly the culture is different and people aren't as friendly. Like These things can fall apart. God's word doesn't, and so to the extent to which our congregation is growing in God's word, we are cultivating one another as good good soil. Whoever comes in here will be able to grow with us, which leads us into the discipleship piece of this. What do we learn from this parable as it relates to our discipleship together? Well, the first action we ask, uh, question we have to ask is how does soil become good? Where well, we all look at this parable and we all think, "Well, I want to be the good soil, right? That's the point." How does soil become good? Unfortunately, you may hear many preachers preach this text and say, you have to do this, that, and the other thing in order to be good soil for God. But have you ever met soil? It's not autonomous. Soil is completely passive. It needs to be worked on by the rototiller or the farmer, whoever it is, in order to make it good soil. Somebody has to go in and pull out the rocks. Somebody has to yank on the weeds. Somebody has to rototill the ground. Soil becomes good because somebody works on it. And that's true for you, too. If you heard this explanation of the text and you thought to yourself, man, sometimes my heart is hard-packed ground and I hear God's word, but I don't let it penetrate. Or if you thought to yourself like that rocky soil, there are some things that I don't let God touch or like that weedy soil. I trust God, but I trust a whole bunch of other stuff too. You need the farmer. You don't need to fix it. Jesus will fix it. So pray for him to fix it. He will. And then get ready (laughs) because when soil gets worked on, it's not exactly comfortable for the soil. But if you're that hard-packed ground and the farmer brings out the rototiller, I don't think any of us wants to stick our hand into a rototiller, and that's for a really good reason, it'll mess you up. And God might mess you up. He might make you really uncomfortable. He might turn your life upside down in order to make you good soil. Or if you're rocky soil, if you reach down into the soil and pull the rocks out, there are voids left there. Open air space that's not filled in with dirt yet. If you're willing to ask Jesus to make you good soil, he might reach into your life and pull something out that's really important to you. And so you can't have that anymore. That can't be there if I'm gonna grow into your soil. Or if you're weedy soil. If there are other things that, that are choking the resources of your life before God, get ready for Jesus to pull on them. It's not gonna be comfortable, but he is going to weakly grab those weeds and pull on them and say, these can't be your God too. How does soil become good? A farmer works on it. So pray for God to make you good soil and get ready for him to do that. Then let's ask another question. How does soil stay good? Right, of course, once it becomes good soil, it doesn't stay good soil. All sorts of things can happen to, you, to it. How does soil stay good? Regular exposure to resources. like right, Sunlight, water, tilling, fertilizer, all these things. The same is true for the Christian. If you're going to stay good soil, it is going to be by regular exposure to God's resources. Regularly being here to hear God's word, regularly at the table to receive the Lord's Supper, regularly in a devotional life at home, regularly in life group with other Christians, being encouraged, confessing your sins to one another, and forgiving one another. That regular exposure is going to keep you as good soil. You can leave it, but you know what happens with soil that's left alone. First, the weeds grow. And then the rocks grow. And then people walk on it and it gets trampled down. It needs to stay good. And that happens through God's word. Then finally, we have to ask this question, well, then how do these plants produce? Or how do Christians produce? And maybe tangentially also, what do they produce? How do they produce? Well, Jesus tells us that the good soil is those who hear the word, retain it, and persevere. I think we think of producing fruit and we think about actions, right? I'm going to do good to my neighbor. I'm going to give away things. Yeah, that's part of it. But first and foremost, it's about God's word. I'm hearing God's word. I'm retaining God's word. And I'm holding on to it through difficult times. I'm persevering in God's word. This whole section of Luke's gospel is about the power and importance of God's word. We may think Christian churches are all about a thousand other things, but as far as Jesus is concerned, this is what's most important. Do you hear God's word? Do you retain God's word? Do you persevere in God's word? If you do that, you'll produce a crop. Now, what will that crop be? Well, we already talked about the seed, of course, but maybe we should just think about it as the word, right? It's just the word coming out of my mouth all the time, whether it's around non-Christians or Christians or my family, this is always coming out of my mouth, I pray the Psalms regularly so that I memorize them. We study the Proverbs so that I have wisdom in every situation. I read God's word regularly so that Jesus' words start to come out of my mouth. You hear the word, retain the word, and persevere in the word. So let's finish where we started. Jesus says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Because whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from him. It's a little bit of an ominous statement, isn't it? Jesus at least assumes that a person can think they have God's word and not actually have it. Why? Because they don't want Jesus. So more than thinking about how does evangelism happen or discipleship happen or how am I going to get into that devotional life that pastor talked about, think about this. Where are you at with Jesus? If Jesus is a, a, a sideshow to your life, if he's an in insurance policy then you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus needs to be your number one because frankly, what else do you have to rely on? He's the only one who can save you from the guilt that you feel. He's the only one who can save you from the death that will inevitably come for every single one of us because he himself beat death. He's giving it away for free. He's giving you a gift that you would enjoy it. All the other things in your life, they'll be great for a moment, but Jesus will be great forever. So consider carefully how you listen. Or as Jesus says, hear God's word and put it into practice. Or if you want to go back to where we started this section of Luke's gospel at the end of his sermon on the plain, hear God's word and produce it. It's the same word that Jesus used back in chapter 6. Hear God's word, produce it, and it will give you eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us your word. Help us to trust it, that we would hear, believe, and produce your word for the sake of this congregation, for the sake of our community. As the word of God dwells in us richly, we know it will produce the fruit of bringing other people to know that same good news. And so we pray for the discipleship of our congregation and the inevitable evangelism that comes when discipleship is strong. We pray for those things.